Uh, we are in Acts chapter 6. I chose not to do anything special because God already had something special for us this morning. And it just so happens that we are coming across a story of Stephen. Uh, Stephen is not an apostle. He is a disciple of Jesus Christ. And he's described in a way um, that uh, really should be descriptive of us in our character, in our integrity in the Lord. Um, you know, I titled this morning's message, Full of Grace and Power. And uh, you know, I, I thought of another title, uh, The Look on His Face. Um, and that's, that's really what tells it all, is the look on Stephen's face when he is faced with uh, false accusations and he is in imminent danger. His life is in danger. And that look on his face really speaks volumes. So this morning's message covers verses 8 through 15 of chapter 6 of the book of Acts. And the title is Full of Grace and Power. I think it is very fitting for the day in which we are experiencing right now. And I pray it would be encouraging to all of us here and those who are also joining us online, for there are many who are right now streaming on Facebook. So, Let's read, beginning in verse 8 of Acts chapter 6. And Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. Then some of those who belonged to the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, and of the Cyrenians, and of the Alexandrians, and of those from Cilicia and Asia, rose up and disputed with Stephen. But they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. When they secretly instigated men who said, we have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. And they stirred up, the, stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes. And they came upon him and seized him and brought him before the council. And they set up false witnesses who said, this man never ceases to speak words against this holy place and the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and will change the customs that Moses delivered to us. And gazing at him and all who sat in the council saw that his face was like the face of an angel. Father, uh, I pray that we would have such faith. As we come to believe who you are and that you're still on the throne that you have secured a place for us in heaven in all of your glory through Jesus Christ, who is our ransom, the one who paid it all by his lifeblood. That we would have a humble confidence in you, not being moved by anyone or anything that comes against us, but that we would walk confidently before you and before the world, expressing a hope that endures all and that can never take us from being yours, never remove us from your hand. I pray, Lord, that we would, Lord, just uh, cling to you and trust in you and that our countenance would reflect that hope and that trust and that faith that we have in you, that we too would 
in the midst of trials, have the face of an angel. The face of perfect peace in the midst of storms. I pray, Lord, that you would have your way with us this morning. That you would encourage each and every one of us. That you would remind us of the love that you have for us. And how it is that we too can know that peace that surpasses all understanding. The same one that Stephen had. The same one that the apostles and other disciples of the early church had. As they faced many tribulations and many persecutions. Knowing that their lives were in danger. They remain steadfast. And may we know that steadfastness and that peace that can only be found in Jesus Christ in the midst of storms. Thank you, Lord, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, Let me ask you a question just to start out. Are you the face of perfect peace in the midst of chaos? And ask that again. Are you the face of perfect peace in the midst of chaos? You know, that person that no matter what comes his way, it's like everything could be falling apart around him. This is at peace. You look at this, these people, you know, it's like, how can you have that? How can you be so calm? Everything is falling apart. Do you not know what we're up against? That face, that person. That's perfect peace. You see, today, many people around the world are panicking because of COVID-19, this coronavirus. They are filled with worry and anxiety, fear and stress. In fact, people are forming lines around grocery stores to buy toilet paper, water and dry goods to survive through a potential quarantine period. And some of you have been in these lines. I know of someone that went to Winco yesterday at 4.30 in the morning and found the line wrapped around the store not once, but two times. Uh, the other day, I went to uh, Stater's uh, over on, I believe it's uh, La Sierra. And, um, and I just ran in for uh, a few cans of chicken noodle soup. That's all I wanted. <laughs> just three cans of chicken noodle soup. I almost helped this this little lady that had two carts, but then I realized she was probably going to take me out if I took her other cart because she was there to fill it up. I go in, and perhaps as you've already experienced, the shelves are bare. There's nothing there. You can't find sanitizer. You can't find toilet paper. You can't find wipes. You can't, you can't find all, court, uh, all kinds of stuff. And then I gave you the formula, right, to a hand sanitizer last Sunday. Well, I shouldn't have done that. I guess the world was listening. <laughs> because we don't have any rubbing alcohol or aloe vera to make our own hand sanitizer. Just the world is upside down right now. Are we right side up? Are we still standing? Or are we filled with worry and anxiety? fear, and stress ourselves. As a Christian, how are you handling this situation? This is one of those moments in life when we will demonstrate where we are in our faith. It's a a test of our faith. Don't think it's not. It's a test of our faith. Someone will say, well, just because I'm worried and anxious doesn't mean I don't have faith. Well, actually, anxiety and worry... And stress and faith can't live in the same body. 
it just doesn't exist. It's either one or the other. It's either you have faith or you don't. Because they'll say it's natural to feel those very things in the midst of such chaos. Yes, it is. But how you respond is what's so important. How you respond. Do you not think that a soldier on the field in the midst of battle is experiencing fear? You got to... You got to be kidding me if, if, if you think that that person is not experiencing fear. But what he's doing is, in spite of his fear, he's continuing to advance. You see, the objective has not been met. He's there to fight, he's there to act on what he knows to be true. And we know what we ought to be acting upon as we claim to believe that it's true. Right? So how do we respond in the midst of such chaos? Because I would have to disagree that we as a people, as God's people, claiming to have trust in Him should be filled with worry and anxiety and stress. Concern and worry are not the same. There's a concern that we ought to have, but not worry, not anxiety, not being overwhelmed. It's natural to react to these times with fear and anxiety and worry. But it is supernatural and heavenly to respond to these times calmly, clearly, wisely, and with faith and hope in God. Jesus said in John 16, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Oh, what soothing words come from our Lord. Take heart. In other words, don't give up. My friend David Zamora, it seems like, you know, he just felt compelled to put a few things out there as far as like just calming everyone down. He says, you know, he put something out out yesterday asking, are you you giving in? Are you giving up? You know, don't. I just be be at peace. Calm down. Keep your eyes fixed on the Lord. Trust in him. He's still there. He's still on the throne. Are you trusting in God's promises? Are you expressing your faith in him? The faith you claim to possess. Do you possess that? Do you possess that even right now? Hebrews 11.1 1 says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the convictions of things not seen. Faith is the expression of trust in the promises of God through personal thought, word, and action that reflects in a belief in his promises, whether seen or not. We know doubting Thomas, right? Thomas had doubted the report of Jesus' resurrection, even though he had told his disciples many times that this is exactly what would happen. He said this in John twenty twenty five: Unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails... And place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Well, eight days later, all the disciples were together when Jesus appeared to them saying, Peace be with you. Would that not be alarming though? That you're you're in, we could be in this enclosed place and Jesus just shows up. 
He knew the very first thing. We'd be, we'd be alarmed. <laughs> who, showed, who just showed up? Peace be with you. Right? Peace be with you. The Lord is with us. And as the Lord appeared to all the disciples, and he wanted to address Thomas personally and directly, he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands, and put your hand, put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. And Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Do you believe the promises of God? And how do you express that faith? Faith is the expression, and I want to repeat this, faith is the expression of trust in the promises of God through personal thought, word, and action that reflects a belief in his promises, whether seen or not. It ought to be expressed in the way we live our lives, that which we claim to believe. It's a trust in him. It's a trust in his promises, not not the proof that we demand, but we just believe in his promises. There's been enough proof. If you look throughout scripture, there is enough proof. He is God and he is faithful. This morning, it's my hope that you are encouraged by the courage and faith that we'll see in Stephen, a follower of Jesus Christ. Uh, We'll see how a believer in Jesus Christ who is not an apostle, and I want to just point that out. He's not an apostle. We've, we've heard about Peter. We've, we've heard about how it was that the Lord has worked through his life. But now we have Stephen. He's not an apostle. He's a follower of Jesus Christ. He's a disciple. He's one who has now been selected to be a deacon within the church, just simply to serve the Lord. And how it is that through him, how it is that in him, There's an expression of faith without wavering and with a perfect peace in the midst of confrontation and in the midst of imminent danger to his person. A person who is full of God's grace and power, even though he faces imminent danger, how it is that he will express perfect peace in Christ because his hope rests squarely on him and in him and not in the circumstances that surround him. It's, it's interesting to me how today, MLB, NBA, NHL, entertainment, concerts, uh, commerce, a lot of that has come to a complete halt. It's just like today, we are, we are a different nation today than we were just two weeks, a week ago. Two weeks ago. All of that just shut down. It's funny. It's funny in the way to where it's like, wow, it kind of just puts things in proper perspective. What's really important? What's really important? What is it that we ought to value most of all? It certainly isn't all of that. And I pray that more people would open up. That they would open up to Jesus Christ. That they would Allow the Lord to put things in proper perspective. I pray he does that with us this morning. Three things. Um, we're going to see Stephen full of grace and power and how it is that he responds to uh, the opposition. Secondly, um, when he is faced with imminent danger, um, just to 
see what circumstances he finds himself in. And lastly, the, the expression of perfect peace. Let's uh, first uh, tackle the first portion, that is the, the first point, full of grace and power. Verse 8, once again, And Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. Then some of those who belonged to the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, and of the Cyrenians and of the Alex, uh, Alexandrians, and of those from Cilicia and Asia, rose up and disputed with Stephen. But they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. So Stephen was a man who had been previously selected to serve within the church. We covered that in the first seven verses of this chapter because it was determined that he possessed godly qualities that were uh, a a pre-qualification of even being considered to serving the Lord. Uh, He was a man of good repute. He had, in other words, a good reputation inside and outside of the church. He was a man of good character, and he possessed integrity, spiritual integrity. He was also a man that was full of faith in the Holy Spirit. This means that he expressed his belief in the gospel by the way he spoke and the way he lived his life, regardless of the issues that he faced. Nothing moved him. He was... He was steady. He was full of character, godly character. He was full of integrity. And he walked in faith, filled with the Holy Spirit. Galatians 5.16 says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. As you exercise walking in the Spirit more and more, you gain spiritual strength so that you would not give in to the temptations of the flesh, the world, and Satan. So Stephen was such a man. He was a man who gave himself to walking in the Spirit, to walking in in faith. He was a man who learned how to walk in the power of the Spirit in the midst of the world and its influences. Remember that this this was, the world in which they lived in was not any different from the world in which we're living in today. There were temptations. Uh, You know, they were warned of all the same things that we're warned of today that would come against them. And yet Stephen walked faithfully with the Lord. He was a man full of godly wisdom. You could say that his life demonstrated Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord With all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. He was a man who did not rely on the understanding he thought he had if it didn't line up with God's promises, with God's word. Instead, Stephen learned to surrender his will to God's and thus learned how to walk on God's path as he laid it before him. You know, we still have a lot of learning to do. It's one of those uh, things to where, do you walk in godly wisdom? If you were to examine your life and ask the Lord to reveal things to you on a daily basis, you would realize that you still have a lot of learning to do. At least that's where I'm at. I need, I need to apply more of the knowledge of the Word of God to my life that I would walk more that, that just straight line with the Lord, expressing a godly wisdom. Learning how to walk on God's path. As it says in Psalm 119.105, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my, my path. So, a lamp to my feet 
In other words, and, and, I, and I say this, whenever I come across this verse, I love this verse because just the whole picture that it draws. God's word is that lamp that if you were just to look down at where your feet are placed, it would show you where you're at. Are you in the right place? It's like there's darkness everywhere. And the word, this is what it does. Are you standing where you ought to be standing? Or are you too close to that cliff? Are you too close to compromise? Or are you kind of drawing near to that temptation? Where where are you at? That's what the word of God, that's what it shows us. It, It tells us where we're at, where we're standing in life. Where's your heart? Where are your thoughts? Where are your words? Where's your life? And that same word serves as a light to our path. We may be here, but the word of God serves to show us what path to take. And so we take it and we express godly wisdom. We walk by the spirit and not by the temptations and the desires of the flesh. Proverbs 9.10 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. It was a man like this that God used and was further described here as a man who was full of grace and power. And know this, to walk in God's grace is to walk in faith in Him. And to walk in His grace is to walk in His power, in the dunamis power of the Holy Spirit. There is power in walking in the Spirit. Stephen is later described as having the face of an angel, but that didn't mean that he was soft or that he freely went along with anyone and anyone. He didn't, didn't vacillate, wasn't one to just okay, go along with his thoughts and her thoughts, her opinions, them, their opinions. He wasn't like that. That's not what this is describing. On the contrary, not only was God doing a great work through him among the people, but Stephen was not afraid to rise up and dispute with those who confronted his faith in Christ. This is what we see. He's, he's disputing. And he's not disputing with people who don't know the word. Even though these men belonged to the synagogue, which means they were learned men, they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which He was speaking. You see, they were wise in their own eyes. Whereas Stephen was speaking from the truth of God's word. They thought they knew God's word. And yet they were blind to it. He was filled with the spirit and empowered with understanding. It's pretty cool when someone comes along and just gives clarity to the word. Oh, now I understand it. John 16, 13 through 15 says, When the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into all truth. That is the Holy Spirit that indwells us as believers. For He will not speak on His own authority, but whatever He hears, He will speak, and He will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, Jesus speaking, for He will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore I said that He will take what is mine and declare it to you. And they couldn't withstand Stephen because the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking was truth. The Holy Spirit was guiding him down this path of understanding, of being able 
to explain the truth of God's word. How it was that the word had prophesied and the fulfillment of those prophecies had come to be fulfilled in Jesus Christ. It was awesome. When we insist on our own understanding after being faced with God's truth, we are opposing God and are found to be fighting not against the person we're arguing with, but found to be fighting against the Lord. Things like fear. Are you filled with fear? Well, 2 Timothy 1.7 says, For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Don't fear. You, you don't need to fear. Are you filled with worry? Well, Matthew 6.27 says, In which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? It won't benefit. It won't benefit. In fact, what it'll do is cloud your thinking. That's what it'll do. It'll, it'll you know, as if we need more to take up our, um, the way we process our thoughts. <laughs> we don't need any more. Nothing more. We have enough going on up there. Stephen, in his own life, was walking out what it says in Matthew 10, 26 through 33. The Lord Jesus said in Matthew 10, 26, So have no fear of them, for nothing is covered that will not be revealed, or hidden that will not be known. What I tell you in the dark, say in the light, and what you hear whispered, proclaim on the housetops. And do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I also will acknowledge before my father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I also will deny before my Father who is in heaven. And here is Stephen, not denying, but declaring his faith in Jesus Christ to a hall. And he was proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ. He's not holding back. He wasn't fearing those who, you may be able to put me to death. This is the body. Oh, but you can't take my soul to hell. No, that's already been taken care of, and Stephen knew that. They didn't fear them. So instead of continuing to debate with Stephen, they sought to accuse him of blasphemy. They, they weren't winning. They were losing. <laughs> Imagine his countenance, him disputing, going back and forth, and they were being overwhelmed with the truth. Imagine their, their thoughts. It was like, well, wow, that, that makes sense, but there's no way I'm giving in to that. There's no way I'm conceding to him. And so they were putting things together in such a way that they would find Stephen guilty of blasphemy. But it was with lies and deception. Verse 11 says, Then they secretly instigated men who said, We have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. And they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes. And they came upon him and seized him and brought him before the council. And they, set, and they set up false witnesses who said, This man never ceases to speak words against this holy place and the law, for we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and will change the customs that Moses delivered to us. So this was their accusations. These men of the synagogue found others who were willing to testify that Stephen was speaking against Moses, against God, the temple, the law, 
and that, uh, that he was seeking to change the way that they had known to worship the Lord. All of these things. He had convinced others that Stephen was guilty of these false accusations. These, these men shaped, these men who were learned, who were opposed to Stephen and the truth of God's word. Really, that was the bottom line. Really were there to shape popular opinion by repeating these lies and twisting Stephen's words really without understanding. That's what they were there to do. You repeated enough times, and this is something, by the way, that, that we ought to be aware of. That when you hear certain people say, I didn't say it, I didn't say it, I didn't say it, I didn't say it, pretty soon you kind of doubt, maybe I didn't hear him say that. Maybe he didn't say that. That's true. He is a victim. Everyone else is against him. Certain things that we hear repeated over and over again, and they're lies, and, and the world begins to form an opinion. All it's groupthink. It's uh, it's popular opinion. Got to be careful. Got to submit our thoughts and what comes our way to the truth of God's word and see what God says about it all. As Christians, we need to be careful what and who we listen to. I know that fear leads many people to do things they would not otherwise do. Many fears are not real, but shaped by others in the minds of people who are willing to listen and come to believe. What are you willing to to listen to. What are you willing to believe? It's, these are thoughts also in our own minds. We form these opinions. Are they true or not? The only reason they believe the lie is because they did not believe the truth of who Jesus was. These were their accusations. Um, Jesus of Nazareth. These were the accusations that they made on, uh, of Stephen. Jesus of Nazareth. Well, um, well, he claims that he was greater than Moses. Was he not greater than Moses? Yes. Uh, Jesus of Nazareth, he claims he was God. Guilty? Guilty, right? Jesus of Nazareth was greater than the temple. Was he greater than the temple? And Jesus of Nazareth, was a fulfillment of the law and the prophets. Was he not? He was. And in fact, wasn't Jesus greater than their religious customs and traditions? Guilty. Guilty. But they twisted his words. Because Jesus, and this is not what, Stephen was not claiming this. Jesus did not speak against Moses, against God, against the law and the prophets, and against the temple. He didn't do those things. But the way they were saying it, yeah, I did say those, but not in that way. He was God. And he would be the one to sacrifice his body on the cross, for even them. He was the one whom he told them would 
be crucified, buried, and resurrected three days after. It is true that Jesus was the fulfillment of the law and the prophets and is greater than the temple and greater than Moses, for he is God. He said, I am. He did make those claims. And the only reason why they were opposed to the truth is because they didn't believe who Jesus was and who he claimed to be. Now, there are a lot of people who are opposed to the truth because they don't believe in Jesus Christ. They don't believe that he is the Messiah. He is the son of God. The moment you come to understand and believe and put your faith in Jesus Christ, that he is the son of God. Oh, the scriptures come alive. You understand it all comes together. It all makes sense. You are then filled with the Holy Spirit who leads you in all truth. It was their unbelief that led them in opposing Stephen and his words of truth. God's words. What I want to point out is that Stephen knew that the false accusations would lead to his conviction of blasphemy. He already knew this. He saw it. He saw it. He discerned this. He saw the writing on the wall. Because if they deemed him guilty, then he would be sentenced to death. And so he was faced with imminent danger. So this is what I want to point out here is, did Stephen waver in this situation, when he was faced with his, with his life? Did Stephen try to save his life by compromising? Did he worry or was he overwhelmed with anxiety? Did he stress out and clam up? Did they succeed in shutting him up? Did they? Chapter 7 tells us, nope, they didn't. They certainly did not. Because next week we'll see how he did not waver. He did not compromise his faith. He did not worry and he was not anxious. He did not stress out and clam up. And they definitely did not succeed in shutting him up. I wonder in us, and as I thought about this, what is it in our own lives that we experience, that we are faced with, that succeeds in us compromising, being filled with anxiety, worry, stresses us out, and shuts us up. What are those things? Is there anything? Let me ask you this. What has been the overwhelming conversation that you've participated in in the last week? Has that served to perhaps distract you, take your attention from the truth of God's word? With Stephen, for now, we get a description not of his actions, but of his countenance. That's what's described in this last verse. The expression of perfect peace, verse 15. And gazing at him, all who sat in the council saw that his face was like the face of an angel. The face of an angel. Was this an accusation? I know it was their observation. They gazed at Stephen in the midst of being accused of blasphemy because of the look on his face. They, they gazed at him. It was like, you can imagine, you know, 70 people plus. Because not only was a Sanhedrin there, but there were more people there. All the observers, the accusers, everyone was there. 
And here is Stephen accused of these things. And, and I would have loved to have seen the look on his face. Because they sat there, you could say, gazing in awe. And does, he not, does he not understand what's being said here, what he's being accused of? Does he not understand? What faith? Stephen was losing in court. And therefore, he was about to lose his life. He was in imminent danger. And how is he responding? Well, with the look of, this is how, perfect peace. Perfect peace. Isaiah 26.3 says, You will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. It's look. It's not. It's perfect peace. It's a mature peace. It's a, it's a peace of understanding, and a faith in God's promises, God's word. That no matter what comes my way, I'm not shaken. I understand this doesn't shock me. These accusations that are being thrown my way, it doesn't shock me. I know the truth, and I stand in it. Come what may. Because Stephen wasn't in perfect peace because he learned how to remove himself mentally from the situation he found himself in. I'm em- emptying my mind. You know, it, it's not, it, He didn't know. <laughs> in fact, Christianity is not emptying your mind, by the way. It's filling your mind with the truth of God's word. We, we are cleansed with the washing that comes through the word of God. So it's not... Let's, let's empty our minds. No, 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 no. Let's fill our minds. As we fill our minds with God's word, it, it doesn't have any room for the words of the world and of the flesh and, and all of that. It doesn't have room. It's overwhelmed with the truth of God's word. That's, that's how we are cleansed. We push out the world with God's word. It was because he was fully assured that he experienced this peace, he was fully assured of the promises of God, and he trusted that God would deliver him into his glory if he wasn't delivered from the hands of his enemies. Is what He could have said the same words that Paul said. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. To live as Christ and to die as gain. Apparently, he was expressing this, he was exemplifying this by the way he was conducting himself in this situation. Hey, if I'm given one more moment, I'm going to live for Christ, for the glory of Christ. If I'm not, I'm going to go to the glory of Christ. No one could deny Stephen God's grace in Christ and eternal life in the Son of God. Stephen didn't have a soft look, nor did he have a hard look. It wasn't either, either, either one of those. It was simply a look of faith in God, peace in his promises, and a look of confidence in God's grace. He beheld the glory of God in the midst of imminent danger. He wasn't moved. I I know it awaits me. I know his promises. I stand firm in them. It was the expression of perfect peace in Christ. Philippians 4, 6, and 7. Do not be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Philippians 4, 6, and 7. 
I believe that Stephen possessed that peace that surpasses all understanding, for his accusers and the judges couldn't believe the look of peace he had on his face. This is the look of a person who remains close to God when everything around him is trying to separate him from God. In fact, Romans 8.31-39 through 39 says this, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? Well, they were trying, right? It is God who justifies, who is to condemn. Christ Jesus is the one who died more than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Stephen, there was no fear. There's no worry. There's no anxiety. There was no terror. There's none of that found on the countenance of Stephen. Because his fear was overshadowed by the perfect love of God, known in God's grace in Christ Jesus. First John 4.18 says, There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. Just the example of Stephen should be an encouragement to each and every one of us. That no matter what we're faced with, we too ought to express a, a perfect peace in Christ. Steady. We, we, we ought to have no fear other than the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It's the beginning of knowledge, of, 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 of helping us get to the place to where we understand fully that we are confident in Him and the hope that we have in Him. So full of grace and power, faced with imminent danger and the expression of perfect peace. A person who is full of God's grace and power, even though he faces imminent danger, will express perfect peace in Christ because his hope rests in Him and not the circumstances that surround Him. So rest in the peace of God and do not fear whatever and whoever comes against you. Our hope is in Christ. Hebrews 6.19, and I'll leave you with this. By the way, after we, we quote that scripture, I know that today um, our president, President Trump, has declared this day a day of prayer. It's interesting because, um, and it's awesome, because here we have a president. Think what you may of him. I, it really doesn't matter. He's our president you know, past presidents, I have learned as I've served this country in the military that no matter who is there, we ought to pray for him. We ought to regard him as our president and we should unite together 
And so, President Trump, I am so thankful that he has recognized this day as the day of prayer. He has declared it as a day of prayer, of all coming together. So in a time when, when some churches are, are disbanding, so to speak, for a day or you know, a week or two, you know, here is President Trump who declares this a day of prayer. What do Christians do when they pray? They gather. That's interesting. So through President Trump, the Lord is saying, telling the church, gather. Gather, come together and let's pray. We are definitely not forsaking the assembling of ourselves. We're coming together. We need to pray. We need to seek the Lord. And afterwards, we're going to take some time and just pray. Uh, we're, we're actually, we're not going to have the worship team uh, come up just yet because I, I want to just, I want to open it up to everyone here and anything that you want to pray for. I know that some people don't like to pray, um, you know, in large groups, but whoever feels comfortable in doing so, please pray. Just stand up where you are and just pray. We need a lot of prayer. We need to encourage one another. All right. So I'm going to read this. I'm going to close. And I, I pray that this was encouraging to you. The study of Stephen and these last few verses of chapter six uh, encourages you to have that faith. Um, and, uh, and just that other people would, would see the look on your face and know that you have that perfect peace. Hebrews 6.19 says this. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul. A hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain into the Holy of Holies. Father, we come before you and Lord, we, we want that perfect peace. We want to express it. We want to express it in the way we live, the things we say, the way we express ourselves, how we think. And as other people look to us, which they will, I would hope that you would help us to um, have a perfect peace upon our countenance, knowing that you are the lifter of our heads, that you are our hope, our glory. You are our strength, and you are our refuge. We do pray for all those who are suffering, especially from uh, this virus. We pray for that you would give them strength, bring them through. We pray specifically for our friend Charlie. And ask, Lord, that, that Lord, you would, you would be his healer. Lord, we, we know that all things are in your hands. And, and so I pray that, that you would touch him, especially right now, and give him strength and healing. Be with everyone, everyone and anyone else who is also suffering uh, from this virus. I pray, Lord, that you would be their strength also and be their healer. And that this would come to an end soon. We pray for our country and our president. We ask, Lord, that you would give him wisdom on how to handle just everything that he has before him. That you would surround him with people who have godly wisdom, who have good godly discernment, 
and can give him counsel that is right, that is true, that is according to your will. And we, uh, we want to pray for our church. We ask that you would strengthen us, that you'd fill us with your spirit, remind us of your promises, and help us to be at peace. Help us to possess that peace that surpasses all understanding. As we look to you, we trust in you, we cling to you. I just thank you, Lord, for being on the throne. I thank you, Lord, that we can come to you and lay everything before you. Fill us with your spirit. Lead and guide us in all truth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.